0: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The Gospel of the Lord. Good afternoon to everybody. I think this is probably one of the more popular or better-known Gospels out there, and we like to recite it, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of different homilies saying, well, unless you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't really love God, and even St. John in his first letter mentions that how can we love God who we do not see if we don't love our neighbor who we do see, um, and all of that is totally true. It's interesting, because in the beginning of this Gospel, it says the Pharisees... Um, A doctor of the law, a scholar of the law, tested Jesus by asking him, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? When you see the word, they tested him, usually that means that somebody's up to no good and they're trying to trick him. I think in this case it was a perfectly legitimate question that was being asked. It was something that the Pharisees would do among themselves as kind of an academic exercise. When you have 613 different laws, they wanted to get down to the grain and say, okay, what's at the heart of all this? Because they can't all be of equal value. There's got to be some kind of hierarchy here. And there was debates. And again, I think this was a perfectly legitimate question. And that's why Jesus treats it as such. And he goes right down. He gives what was the most commonly accepted answer. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Goes to the book of Deuteronomy, I believe. I forget which one was which. And then he adds something from the book of Leviticus, which they didn't ask about, which is you should love your neighbor as yourself. And he ties the two together. He welds them together so that it's like having two sides of the same coin. Now, I'd like to kind of delve into this a little bit. The key to everything There's one word that I think is the key to the entire gospel. And the word is all. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. All means nothing is accepted. It means everything you've got. 100%. All in. Now, what does that actually look like? Well, I think part of the thing is, all of us, all of us, because of original sin, we are born and and we're not wired to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind and strength. Only by the grace of God can we do that. What would that look like? Well, I think part of the problem is this. When we look at God... We may not consciously think this way, but at least kind of subconsciously, there are different categories we can we can look at them with. Even if we have some love of God and we think that we're good Christians and we're good Catholics and we try to live our lives, right? I think it's very easy to look at God sometimes just like um, he's intrusive. Have you ever had one of those relatives that's just needy or a friend that's just needy and every time you turn around, it's not like you don't like them, but it's just like, okay, enough. Maybe you have a spouse who is just needy, okay? You love your spouse, but there's a defect there. It's like they're clingy. It's like every time you turn around, it's like, can I have a little room to breathe here? Sometimes we look at God, and it's like, God, every time... We, okay, some of you are chuckling. I see elbows nudging and all kinds of stuff. So hit a, I hit a, a nerve there. <laughs> um. And I think we can look at God that way and say, God, it's not like I don't love you. or It's not like I don't respect you or anything, but can you give me some space to breathe? It's like every time I turn around, it's like you keep wanting to barge in. Why are you so needy? Okay, that's one way we can look at God. Another way we can look at God is like having that uh, that judgmental relative, your aunt, that every time she looks at you, could be an uncle too, but your relative, whoever it is, in-law, whoever, and they only, every time they talk, they always have some little criticism they want to just bring up, something that you could do better, something that where you're just quite not living up to, and why they're always perpetually disappointed in you. And again, I think some of us look at God that way too, it's like, okay, you're a relative, I guess I have to see you on Christmas and everything but you know that there's going to be some little dig there because you're never good enough, right? And when it's God who knows everything and God is perfect, you're just like, gosh, this guy, I'm never good enough. He's always got something because we always sin, right? He's always got something that's going to make me feel guilty. And so on and so forth. There's any number of different ways that we can look at God. Um, And here's the problem. All of that may register with us and we might say yeah why is god like that and and if we find ourselves thinking that way all that that says is that you and i are really blind we're really blind if we were to step back and just take a look you know if it wasn't about us if we were just to be casual observers of this scenario we'd say first of all who is god well god created everything. God made me. I had no right to exist. He chose to make me. He also chose to make the entire universe and all the angels and saints and everything in them. God made everything, which means he has certain rights. But he didn't just make me so that he could have somebody to shove around or, you know, somebody to order around or, you know, or just like a sandbox to play in or something like that. God made me and he made the entire universe and he made every other person (coughs) for a reason. And the reason is he wanted to have somebody to share love with. He made us to be happy. He made us to be absolutely radically, totally happy, as happy as created beings can possibly be. And everything that he does is him trying to help us to be happy. And we're like, well, it doesn't feel like you're trying telling me to be happy because every time I want to do something fun, you tell me it's a sin and I can't do it, right? But the reality is we know, we know that sin really never makes us happy. It's kind of like, I'll give you an example, a radical case, fentanyl, okay? Fentanyl, I've never done it, so I don't, this is not a public uh, confession of anything. <laughs> I am sure that fentanyl produces great fun for at least a little while. Now, does it make anybody happy? No. It kills people. It ruins lives. It turns people into junkies. Yeah, and we can sometimes turn to something like fentanyl just because life is hard and everything. Well, this will make me happy for a little bit, and it's a total it's it's a totally suicidal attempt at happiness, and every one of our sins is that. When God wants to make us happy, when God is telling us what to do, and God is kind of ordering things, it's because you and I are made for the only one thing in our lives that will make us happy. We are made for God. and you think about it, the reason why we're not happy is that we go looking for happiness in little cheap substitutes. You think about who is God. God is everything that is good. He is the source and font of everything that is possibly good. All possible goodness comes from him and is just a dim reflection of what he himself is. All love, all joy, all of this are just dim reflections of what he himself is. And God is saying, I don't want you to be satisfied with you know the mud in the ground i want to give you gold i want you i want to give you the best possible thing the greatest possible thing god wants to give us the gift of himself and there literally it is impossible that there could be something better that we could receive it is po- impossible that there could be anything that would make us happier and god is saying please let me do this i'm not going to force you because i made you free i'm not going to force you but Please allow me to make you happy. And we're like, no, I want to be happy on my own. It occurred to me, I was thinking of an analogy. Imagine, you know, here in Greenwich, uh, well, maybe not in Greenwich, the state of Connecticut, we want to build a hydroelectric dam. We don't have the rivers for it, but let's just pretend. One of our nuclear something, some major public work. And one of you gets the bright idea, and you say, we should do this. Now, there's different ways you can go about it. You can gather your five best friends, and pick up your hammer and nails, and say, uh, I personally am going to build this massive hydroelectric dam that is gonna provide power for this whole region of the country. Or, if you just happen to be, imagine you have right in the palm of your hands, the Speaker of the House, and the Senate Majority Leader, and the President of the United States, and they're all in agreement on this one, which would be a miracle in and of itself. They're all in agreement saying, we would love to help you. No, we don't need your help, thank you. You can just stay away. We've got all the resources of the United States government. Trillions of dollars at your disposal. Please allow us to help you to build this gap. No, I've got a hammer and nails here. And I've got my friends. And we're going to pull this off. Good luck. Good luck. And that's the way we tend to go through life. So that is why God is saying, if we will order our priorities, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. He is the only thing that we are made for. Absolutely everything else is secondary. All of your soul, all your mind. And that will then enable us to be able to truly love our neighbor. If we do not have the love of God in our hearts, we will inevitably become selfish people. We will inevitably lose the capacity to truly love anybody else. And this is, I think, if, you, if there's one thing that I want to leave you with it is this. Okay, what is one practical way that we can grow in love, in the love of God? Well, right now in the Catholic Church in the United States, we're in the midpoint of a three-year program. It's a three-year Eucharistic revival. Have you ever even, were we even aware that we're in the middle of a Eucharistic revival? That'll be a different homily for a different day. We're right smack dab in the middle of a three-year Eucharistic revival in the United States. And Bishop Barron made one interesting point that I th- about this gospel that I thought was interesting it never thought of it that way When Jesus unites the idea of love of God and love of people human beings It's interesting because how do those two things become united in our hearts? Well, what happened when God became man? What did he do? God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, took on a human nature and become one person, one person, two natures. If we want to truly learn how to love both God and our neighbor at the same time, Christ is God and man. To the extent that we grow to love Christ, that is the extent that we will be able to learn how to love God and love our neighbor. And Christ is present in the Eucharist. So during this time, let's take advantage of what remains of our year and a half of this Eucharistic Revival and spend time with Jesus in the Eucharist. Make visits to chapel, spend a little time with him and ask him to teach us how to grow in love. Having said all of that, uh, I am told that this upcoming Friday is the first Friday and I guess we do adoration here, is that correct? So this Friday, we will have adoration. What a great way to grow in love of God and neighbor by joining us for adoration here in this church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.